What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane, and we made our way through a pretty interesting week of divisional games. Dwayne, I know you're probably a little bit crestfallen because the Cowboys didn't come through, but uh, in terms of just pure entertainment, uh, I thought it was a good weekend. How about you? Yeah, it was entertaining, uh, Marcus. It would have been more entertaining if the Cowboys won. <laughs> but, you know, hey, at least I knew that my co-host of this show was having a better weekend. Me and Jordan, not so much, but we knew that you were probably having a good weekend. I did go to my parents' house. I tried to bring up the old vibes. I sat in the old spot where when the Cowboys beat them in the championship game back in the 92 season, it was in 93 when the game actually occurred. Didn't really work. But I have to say, the Cowboys' defense played really well. Um, Dak was a problem. I know Dak's like a lightning rod right now <laughs> for, for people on social media. So not really trying to get into that, but he did have a bad game and that was the difference really. I mean, and, and the turnovers that didn't go the Cowboys way, like Stefan Diggs picks off that pass that's tipped to him. Right. Because Dak had one of those earlier in the game, right? He threw a pass that could have been picked anyway, but it tips up right. And the linebacker gets it. So some of these, some of these, some of these games really do come down to the way the ball bounces on some of this stuff, you know, um, you know, the surprise interception that works out and the surprise interception that didn't work out, but it was an entertaining weekend to your point. Yeah, very much a, a fun weekend of, of football to watch. And, and you are right for all of these stuff we do with data and analytics and, you know, trying to predict things. A lot of times it's just luck, good or bad, that sort of makes the difference in these games. And you're right. Diggs catches an interception. Uh, the Niners don't catch an interception. This game is completely the other direction. And we're talking about the Cowboys uh, going to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. But we got plenty to talk about. We will dive into the power rankings and sort of recap what happened last weekend and look forward to what could happen a little bit uh, next weekend that we will have a show later on in the week, of course, plus the utilization report, taking a look at how guys were used in the games that were played over the weekend as well. But let's start with the news that sort of broke the football internet, if you will, on Tuesday, and that is that Aaron Rodgers is on the trading block. He has a no-trade clause in his contract. So here we are, Dwayne. Last year at this time, we were sort of wondering, what is the future for Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady? You know, will those guys be back? Will they be back with their respective teams? And here we are, fast forward 12 months later, and we are still sort of asking, what's the future for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers? For Brady, we know he's still sort of trying to figure out what his life is going to be and if he comes back for another season. With Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if he has any trips to South America planned for any sort of psychedelic self-reflection but it <laughs> looks more and more like he may not be the head or the uh, the starting quarterback for the green bay packers next season yeah i mean and at a macro view just thinking about what's going on with quarterback right now you've got potentially tom brady on the market and he's he said look i need time i don't know what i'm doing yet my guess is brady's playing but you know he's he's taking a break like as he should right you gotta consider take some time to reflect after you get through a long season like what they've been through because you know how this thing is you know we have it on a smaller scale marcus but you know when we're in season and turning out content versus the off-season schedule right and it's nice to get that nice little come up for a little bit of air before you <laughs> dive in even to like the heavy off-season research and so like for the players it's like more amplified than that. They have lived and breathed football for, you know, 25 weeks, basically now going back to training camp or whatever it is. 
and it's a it's an intense grind for them. And so I don't blame, you know, a guy like Brady wanting to take a little bit of time. But now if you look at it, Brady potentially available. Rogers on the trading block. Poor Derek Carr, like he's sitting in the third seat now, <laughs> even though he's the youngest. Like most teams are going to probably prefer Brady or Rogers. And I think Rogers would be the number one preference. Mm-hmm. A little bit younger than Brady. Um, still has an absolute cannon, more mobility in the pocket. I think he can do more in today's NFL offense. We've talked about, you know, these pocket passers being a little bit more limited if you don't have completely elite options around you. So yeah, really kind of interested here to talk about where Rodgers could land and what that might mean fantasy wise for some of these players on those rosters. So let's let's pick a few potential spots. We can exclude the NFC because the Packers have said they are not trading him within the conference. So, you know, any 49er fans. Don't blame fans, them. <laughs> I don't blame them at all. Like, so any, any 49er fans that, you know, that thought he might have a chance to, to come to the Bay Area, any maybe Seahawks fans in case they felt like the Geno Smith experience can't be uh, replicated from this past year, your dreams have been dashed at this point. So looking at the AFC, the first one on our list here, the New York Jetropolitans, we know they've got the playmakers at wide receiver. Uh, they've got some really interesting pieces in the backfield. It was quarterback that sort of held this team back last year. You plug Aaron Rodgers into the into the mix there. Uh, you know, are, are, they, are they good enough to win the AFC East? I think they're a playoff team for sure. Could they be good enough to win the AFC East with Aaron Rodgers? AFC East is tough because you've got the Bills, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got Josh Allen, one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. However... Rodgers in a good year could put himself into that top three conversation. You know, I mean, he still has the talent level. So even if he's top five, yeah, I think that makes them a playoff contender because they've got a defense that's got multiple young core components. They have a really good defensive-minded coach in Sala. They are still trying to decide what they're going to do at offensive coordinator, but you mentioned the weapons. You get a guy like Garrett Wilson, you you potentially get Elijah Moore, more excited about playing football again after the Zach Wilson <laughs> season and all of the things that went on there. Obviously he also had some uh, issues with his offensive coordinator. I believe yeah. an F bomb was dropped. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Corey Davis, you know, so that's a solid receiving core. And I'll be honest with you. That's better than anything that Aaron Rodgers has played with in probably the last four to five years. So I think that would be an immediate upgrade um, you also know that if you want to be a run balance team, Rogers is good with getting under center. He has the mobility to run the play action game, still give you the bootlegs. So even if they don't want to make big changes on offense, despite they're going to switch coordinators from LaFleur, um, I think there's an opportunity to keep some of those things intact because Rogers could still do them really well. Uh, Garrett Wilson would become a wide receiver one, like immediately, like he would move inside my top 12. Uh, you know, you try not to overreact, but with the talent profile we've seen from Garrett Wilson, his ability to earn targets, what he can do after the catch, his ability to threaten all areas of the field. And now potentially getting paired with a quarterback that could unlock him in every one of those ways. It's just, man, the sky would be the limit for Garrett Wilson. Like he, he could have a top five season. And I mean, I think to that point, I just go back to how much more optimistic we were about Garrett Wilson when it was Mike White and Joe Flacco at quarterback versus <laughs> versus Zach Wilson, <laughs> right? So if we if we're that fired up about Mike White being the quarterback, and instead we're upgrading to Aaron Rodgers, I don't think it's an overreaction to say Garrett Wilson looks like a wide receiver one uh, there in in New York. You mentioned Derek Carr. We know that his time is over with the Las Vegas Raiders. They benched him for the final two games of the season. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Jarrett Stidham is not the future for the Raiders offense. Um, 
look, I know Raider fans would certainly love and welcome a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Plus, you get the Devontae Adams reunion again. Yeah, it was a big deal that he played with his college quarterback this past year in Vegas, but somehow I feel like a, a Rodgers-Adams reunion in Vegas would be sort of akin to when we had the Brady-Gronk reunion there in Tampa Bay. I mean, that, that just feels like great things. Yeah, and for Adams, like it's hard to point to anywhere higher than where he just was. Like he still he didn't really fall off with Derek Carr, right? He remained an elite target earner, but knowing that we would get someone like Rogers versus Stidham versus a rookie would really help keep our confidence, you know, for Adams intact. I think the big winners would be potentially Waller and Renfro because a player like Aaron Rodgers has the ability to support multiple high-end fantasy options. A little bit tougher for Derek Carr. He can support one or two, but harder for him to support three. And that's where I think Rodgers could really make a difference on this squad. Um, Waller's been dinged up for the last couple of seasons, but he still has that high-end talent level. And historically, we've seen tight ends play longer than some of the other skill positions, right? They can typically be you know, high-end performers uh, into their early and mid thirties, even depending on really what their game is based on. Now, Waller, you know, his athletic profile is a big part of who he is as a tight end, but also these guys mature Marcus, they learn how to, you know, work zones, set things up. Cause as a tight end, you play a lot of zone coverage. You, and there's a lot of, you know, trying to figure out how you find that little sweet spot, right. Between the linebacker, the safety, those things. A lot of it's very subtle. Believe me. I know I watched Jason Witten out there uh, <laughs> running like a, you know, he had zero knee bend at the end of his career, still setting up, you know, like, you know, uh, stick and nod like type routes. And you're like, this guy can't run a five, five and he's open. <laughs> he's like wide, not just open, like has a step of separation. You're like, what the heck is going on? But it's the nature of way, um, teams play inside. So I think there's a lot of meat still left on the bone with Waller and then Renfro, you know, we, we had a little bit higher hopes for him this year. It would just really depend like how often do they keep him on the field? The big knock for him was he lost the, you know, Julian Edelman, guys like that in the past, Wes Welker, even uh, Danny Amendola in the Josh McDaniels scheme have been able to stay on the field in two wide receiver sets where this year, Mac Hollins took over, but I think it would be a definite bump up for Adams for Waller. Renfro would be more of a maybe um, Mac Hollins. I, I don't know. He's kind of, he would be his Alan Lazard. <laughs> Matt Collins would be, he would be the Alan Lazard, right. Of this, of this squadron. So it it would be, you know, stabilizer for Adams, but Waller's probably the guy in my mind that picks up the most here. And if Josh Jacobs resigned, obviously uh, you would have an offense that you could think score a lot of touchdowns, be inside the five yard line a lot. That would give him really a chance to return value again as a high end RB one by scoring a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. The difference would be, we wouldn't get the draft discount on Josh Jacobs this time around. Uh, the way we did this past offseason. I, I know that you, know, you mentioned Mac Hollins maybe being the Alan Lazard potentially of this offense. And I, I look at Hunter Renfro as maybe being, I don't know, as Randall Cobb. It, you know, it, it may not be great fantasy wise, yeah. but just the guy that you can rely on that you know if you need to move the chains. Hunter, you know, you do that. Yeah, guy. he he's and he's a he's actually a good player. Everything went mm -hmm. wrong for him this year. Um I get it. He's a slot receiver. It is easier to be successful as a slot receiver, but his data goes back to his rookie year and any year where we've seen him actually get the routes and get to be on the field. Like he's actually been pretty good. And then, you know how football goes. There's a stint where, you know, the starting wide receivers out for three games or Darren Waller's out for three games. And he's been able to expand his role in those games. So he would be someone that I would be interested in in the later rounds. I don't think he would cost much, right? Because there'd probably be a lot of doubt about, well, you got Hollins. And I don't even, I haven't looked at Hollins, you know, contract. I haven't got to the, to the Raiders yet in my quest for offseason knowledge, you know, as far as fully <laughs> looking under every stone or turning over every stone. But I think, you know, 
he would make him an interesting later round pick and at a minimum. I think I think just the upside is there. I mean, especially if they still believe in third in Renfro the way they did a couple of years ago. They're <laughs> still going to be. He's tough to cover in that spot. He man. really is. He's he's absolutely a tough cover there in the slot. Um, the Steelers, we know they've got playmaking wide receivers, even though Deontay Johnson set the unwanted record of most targets in a season without a touchdown. We he's still got a ton of targets so there's that upside there we know what George Pickens can be Pat Fryermuth has been a pretty steady presence his first couple of years there I mean I guess if you are the Steelers right and you have a chance at Aaron Rodgers Kenny Pickett can wait a year or two right that that's 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 the only thing that I can think of there and and I like their coach I like Tomlin I know he doesn't do everything analytics says you should do but like just looking at Tomlin's overall body of work doesn't he just feel like a coach doesn't feel like he's proven that he can just kind of win with any roster. But if you give him a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, I feel like you know that would be a good match between those two and what they could ultimately do for the team. I think you'd have a really strong leader in Tomlin, and then you would have Rodgers now riding the ship for the offense. We know the defense has an ability, if they're healthy, to be good. Now they've got some work they've got to do on that side of the ball, but they still got Minka. They've still got Watt. You know, just got to keep him healthy. There's some other things that they've got to think about over there, but... I think with Tomlin helping lead the way, there would be an opportunity for this to be really good. And honestly, like if you got to make a Kenny Pickett call right away and we don't, like I, he looks like a career backup at this point. Mm-hmm. Not bad, but I don't think he looks like a franchise quarterback. He didn't do enough to wow us. Basically, Kenny Pickett didn't make a lot of mistakes. That's the best thing you can say for him. Um, if you want to kind of put out the damning evidence, it's the fact that he does have a pretty good receiving core, and he wasn't able to move the offense consistently into scoring position and score touchdowns. That was a problem for him. Whereas I think, you know, what would you put the over-under at immediately, Marcus, if if Aaron Rodgers signs for Deontay Johnson and his zero touchdowns, where what would you put the line at for his touchdowns if Rodgers signed? Put it at five. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's fair. I but I think he could easily score ten. Like mm-hmm. Deontay Johnson is an elite target earner. If he got into a real groove with Rodgers, this would probably be the best case scenario from just a pure fantasy perspective, Marcus, because even though Deontay would have Rodgers, there would be enough doubters, right? Just be, well, Deontay, he can't score touchdowns. Like <laughs> right. there'd be enough of that that it'd probably keep his ADP low enough. Like Garrett Wilson is going to the moon anyway. If you hitch him on to Aaron Rodgers, like he's just shooting past the moon, right? In fantasy drafts. <laughs> Whereas Deontay, there'd be just enough because there was always the drops narrative. There's the injury narrative. Now there's the no touchdown scoring narrative. There's enough things around Deontay Johnson that people could just be like, well, I don't really care about it. Aaron Rodgers. He's going to go to Pickens, right? He's just going to go to Friermuth. So I think that's, you know, if we're just purely trying to mine gold at the receiver position or, or one of his targets, like Deontay would be the one where we probably would get the biggest discount still. He'd probably move into the third round, but maybe, maybe we get him in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. But I like the line of five that you said. I would love for people to use that as the narrative against Deontay Johnson, and I would just keep it to myself that his quarterbacks the last couple of years have been mm-hmm. Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph, and a broken down Ben Roethlisberger. We'll just, you know, we'll keep that to ourselves. We won't mention any, any part of that. Uh, <laughs> if folks want to pass on Deontay Johnson, and I will take the discount and say thank you for it. Um, last one, the Dolphins. And I, I always sort of feel bad for Tua Tungavailoa because it just seems like every year – uh, his job seems to be up for grabs, right? There always seems to be some quarterback out there that is tantalizing enough that the Dolphins end up in these conversations, uh, whether it it was, you know, Deshaun Watson, it's Lamar Jackson, now potentially Aaron Rodgers. 
Uh, poor Tua just see, can't seem to catch a break. But man, the idea of Aaron Rodgers throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, that seems pretty cool to me. Yeah, this offense would be unhinged with Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. The, the other thing that the Dolphins have to think about, right? And I want to be respectful, you know, of Tatua here because it's his own personal health as well. Mm-hmm. But the team does have to think about what if he has a concussion right out of the gate next year? Mm-hmm. What happens? You know, I mean, this is a guy that you've got to protect him like as a person. Like at that point, does he just need to retire? What what needs to happen? Right. What if he has two next year? Like it, he's now got this pattern. And as much as that is like a thing on the personal front, the team also has to think about it, right? It could be more than a normal concussion because he's had so many. And so I think it's even more reason that they've got to consider all of these options. I will say Aaron Rodgers would be an amazing pairing with the offense because of the things we talked about earlier with the Jets, because you, he can go under center. He can you know run the play action. He can run the bootlegs, all the things that really... Mike McDaniels wants to, or Mike McDaniel wants to run in his offense. Like Aaron Rodgers can make all of those things work. And guess what? He can now make it where also those passes down the field, those bombs, they're touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Those receivers are not waiting on them. Like they're going to come down like perfect. And it's so you're going to not only have the run after the catch stuff where you're going to be really big, but you're just going to score more long touchdowns with Rodgers because of the arm talent that he still has. Um, and I could just imagine that being a place, you know, where Rodgers has played all this time up in that cold. Imagine like what Brady went through when he got to come to the Bucks. Now you get to come <laughs> down to Miami, get this temperature change. You could probably add some years to your career. You get to play with this innovative play caller. The problem for the Dolphins, Marcus, they had two first round picks heading into, you know, the year. Well, they had one, but they had two at one point, but they gave it away because of the tampering thing with Tom Brady. Um, which goes back to their to their owner, right, mm-hmm. um, Stephen Ross. But then, if you look at, they also traded away a first round pick for Bradley Chubb to the to the Broncos this year. So they had two first round picks. They are both gone. They've got to be sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, like we would have had the capital to go get Aaron Rodgers." I get it. You're signing a forty year old quarterback or whatever. Um, you know, you're trading away picks may not sound ideal, but as long as quarterbacks play nowadays, and I don't really see Rodgers looking washed when I watch him throw the ball. I I saw Rodgers on a team without much surrounding him is what I saw. Um, so I think he's probably got another five years if he wants to play. That's the thing that whoever trades for him has got to figure out. Like I would, I know he doesn't have a no trade clause, but if I'm the team trading for him, I would want some sort of deal. Marcus saying, He's playing another four years. We're signing him to a four-year extension, something. You can't, you can't bring him over and trade away early draft capital for, well, he's going to play for us this year, and then we don't know about next year. Like You've got to have some kind of an agreement around that. And if he's willing to play another four or five years, someone's probably going to have more draft capital that they're willing to give away than the Dolphins. And like the Jets have better picks, the Raiders have better picks, the Steelers have better picks to have the ammunition to go after Rodgers. That, that is going to be a question is how do you sort of insulate yourself from him playing a year, deciding if he wants to go somewhere else or just hang him up? Um, you know, I guess the Jeopardy job is sort of locked up at the moment, so that that may not be an option for him if he you know decides he wants to do that. Uh, the other part that's going to be interesting is that the reports right now are that the Packers want multiple first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I'm curious to see if the market is willing to sort of bear that out for a guy who, as you mentioned, uh, just turned 39 a couple of months ago, will be 40 before the end of next season uh, and how much more he has left or how much more interest he has in playing, uh, I think remains to be seen. But uh, I get it. If you're the Packers, 
ask for the moon. And, uh, you know, if you reach the stars, you, you still got quite a bit uh, in the end when, when it's all said and done. So I think uh, you make an argument for Tyreek Hill wide receiver one overall, right? If Roger signs it. Oh, absolutely. Because you completely unlock everything. And it's a tough conversation, right? We're going to have Cooper Cup up there. You're going to be talking about Justin Jefferson. There, there's going to be really good options, but he should belong in the conversation. He very much is going to be in the conversation. And if he wasn't already going to be a first round right. pick in a lot of leagues, having Aaron Rodgers there, I think definitely puts him over the top. Uh, squarely into the first round in a lot of uh, a lot of redraft situations we have this show here which is a whole lot of fun and we're glad that you're listening to it but we also are doing stuff over on amp and look it's been Dwayne and Jordan all year long and they are putting out their last show of the year so if you need help getting ready for your playoff contests go on and check it out over on amp fantasy life doing four live radio shows a week there and uh, you can catch Dwayne and Jordan every Sunday morning before kickoff. This is the last time he's going to sit and make you uh, sort of finish <laughs> all your vegetables, right? Yeah, we we went over again this last week. We had a lot of people in chat, you know, hanging out with us. You're welcome to call in as well. And right now, it's really cool, Marcus. You and I have talked about it. This is probably our most pure viewing experience portion of the season. So, yeah, we're talking about fantasy. We're talking about building DFS lineups. But we're also just talking about the NFL. We're just talking about the playoff matchups, all the things that really draw us into, I play fantasy football because I like football. You know, I mean, that's, and everybody's a little bit different. That's me. I know you kind of come from a similar background as me. So I've really enjoyed it over the last couple of weeks because as we've had less teams to talk about, we've got to spend more time, right, on the teams we are discussing and just have more of that back and forth. But of course, you'll get the actual information you want. We talk about all of the bets that we would be telling from, you know, our uh, game hub over at Fantasy Life, which folks can go check out over at FantasyLife.com. And it is free, has everything you want in one spot. But we walk through all of those things, talk about DFS, we build a lineup. And, you know, folks are willing to tell us or, or you know, can tell us on that or, you know, you take four or five things we talk about and then uh, tweak it, you know, so maybe you go win the, the Millie Maker and we don't. There it is. <laughs> just put all this information to good use. It's all out there at your fingertips. Just go to the App Store, download the AMP app. And once you're there, uh, you can follow at MB Fantasy Life and uh, hang out in the chat. Watch the watch the show. Listen to the show. Participate uh, with the show the whole time. Let's take a look at the power rankings. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. You can find the power rankings at fantasylife.com slash power dash rankings. Not just power rankings. You got to put the dash in there uh, so you get to where you're going. <laughs> and we are down to four teams. We got the Niners, the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Bengals all playing for the right to go to the Super Bowl. And Dwayne, just in case folks have not been following along with us the last couple of weeks, one, where you've been, two, welcome. Uh, but a quick rundown of exactly how the power rankings work. Yeah, so I mean, the quickest way to explain it is it really accounts for your strength of schedule. If you beat other really good teams, that rank higher than you based on your points scored in the season, your point differential, and your wins. Those three things we combine together, we create an average across them, and every team gets a rank. And so if you are lower across those three things and you beat a team, you your opponent is ranked higher, you actually get more points. If you just beat a team that you should beat, so if you are, let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and you're late in the season and you beat the Broncos, right, that are a major losing team, well, the most you can really get out of that is five points unless you really drum them. If you really drum them, you beat them by 14 or more, you can score seven points. That's your max. However, if you are the Broncos and you come in and you beat the Chiefs and let's say you beat them by 14 points somehow, like you would score 10 points in the model. So it's just really set up to account for strength of schedule to give you more points for winning big games, less points for winning the games that you should win. 
And that ultimately helps us just account for all the little nuances that can, it's, it's not perfect, right? But it's tough. You know how this, con- how the, how context can like just explode. Like when you're trying to talk about right. all the different variables that are going. And that's what I love about the model. Uh, and you know, I have some things I disagree with on the model this week, so I'm right. ready to jump in. All right, let's jump in. So I'll just a, the quick rundown. The Niners are at one, the Eagles at two, the Chiefs at three, the Bengals at four. Now, look, it's going to be hard to rank these teams, right? Because you only got four of them left. All four are very good teams. That's why they were able to make it this far. The one that maybe jumps out at me is, is the Chiefs at three, and that's only because... We don't know what the status of Patrick Mahomes is going to be. They, the Chiefs are saying that he's fine, he's going through rehab, and that he plans to play, and that's cool. Um, and look, Patrick Mahomes, on most weeks, 85% of Patrick Mahomes is better than 100% of most other quarterbacks. This is not just a regular week. And so I, I know that the model doesn't always take into account injuries and that sort of thing, but man, a, a Chiefs team without a healthy Patrick Mahomes, uh, to me, they're, they're four out of four in this group. Yeah, I agree. If you look at their EPA, right, for offense and defense, they're one of the only teams, they're the only team remaining in the playoffs that's really not positive on both. Now, they have the highest EPA on offense, but that is all attached to Patrick Mahomes. Like, they don't have elite wide receivers. They have elite Travis Kelsey, and they have elite Patrick Mahomes. Um, But outside of that, everything else, they're really manufacturing. Now, not Miko Hardman, uh, Kadarius Toney's playing really well, but it's not like he's out there every play, you know? I mean, he's still only out there 30% of the time. So the big thing that Mahomes give you, gives you is when he can move around, when he can buy time, he can still hit you for the big plays. He can break down the defense. He can pick up first downs running the ball. You're going to now play against the Bengals, a little bit different than the Jaguars, who have elite options surrounding Joe Burrow. And they can really put the pressure on your team to need to score a lot of points. We did not see the Chiefs get put into that position last week. They still led the game almost by four-plus points almost the whole time. So they were in a really good spot as far as the way the game script worked out. It was either close or they were leading. I think the Bengals will have a chance, Marcus, to really put Kansas City uh, in a trailing position to where you're going to need Patrick Mahomes to do all those things that that the Chiefs need to make their offense work. Um, so I agree with you. Um, the other area, now again, these are all really tight. So if we take their average um, ELO per game, and ELO is really, you know, back to the explanation I gave earlier, it's, it's named after a guy that invented this for chess, right? And we apply it to all these different sports, football being one of them. But if you take the average, these teams are all really close. The 49ers are in first place at 5.11. The Eagles are at 5.00. And then you have the Chiefs right behind that at 4.94 and the Bengals at 4.89. What's interesting is if you were to go back and look at the teams that were eliminated, they all actually, they broke away from what we saw with these four teams. They were all lower. So the model, even though we may not always agree with the exact order of the four or the eight that were remaining, um, overall has done a pretty good job of saying who the best teams are, and they've been advancing. So I have to give the model credit on that. And the other area that I do disagree with, though, I would put the Eagles over the 49ers just because Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, is Brock Purdy's great. He's doing a good job. He's not, we don't know if he's going to be great. He's playing great right now, right? He didn't turn the ball over this weekend. That's all he had to do against the Cowboys to win because the the way that that game turned out. But you're going to give me Jalen Hurts. You're going to give me another real, the Eagles aren't quite as good on defense as the 49ers. Um, but I think overall, like when I look at the Eagles team, I would rank them first, right? Over the 49ers, I would rank the, I I would honestly rank the Bengals second. I would rank the 49ers third and I would rank the Chiefs fourth. 
Um, but again, they are all really, really close. And so it makes it tough. And, and again, the model's been really good at, project, at, at projecting the top teams that should move on each week. I mean, you're talking about less than a quarter of a point separating one from four, which tells you how, how closely bunched they are together. I, I looked at that too, and I, I was surprised to see the Niners at one. I feel like that is by virtue of they beat a tougher team than yes. the Eagles did. You know, they, That's they exactly beat, what happened. They yep. beat the Cowboys instead of just thumping the Giants the way the Eagles did. And they did covered there. the seven, right? So yes. the Eagles thumped the Giants, mm -hmm. and so they got their seven points. Yep. But the Niners actually beat the tougher opponent and still won by seven. So that's where the slight move happened this week. I also think it's funny because the the Bengals, as much as you can, have sort of been playing this underdog card, I think, for the last couple of weeks. You know, everybody. <laughs> and they keep getting, now they're not going to be able to do it now. <laughs> they're not going to be able to do it now. I mean, you, you've got them as number two behind the Eagles. So uh, they can't play the underdog card with you, at least. But they have really been saying, you know, with everybody talking about a neutral site AFC championship game. And, you know, I love the Joe Burrow line about, you know, better send those refunds. Uh, for all the folks who bought tickets there and that sort of thing, they they don't they don't get that with Dwayne. They can't they can't play that card. Well, and Vegas is flipping on them, right? The line mm -hmm. opened yesterday with the 49ers. Uh, I'm sorry, the 49ers. The Chiefs as favorites. By the time I look at the, at the lines when I was riding, it was minus one. It was actually more than that. I don't know what it actually started at, but today I believe we're at uh, plus one um, mm -hmm. now for the Bengals. So now the Bengals are actually giving points to the 49ers, I mean, to the Chiefs, sorry, at, at Kansas City, right? So um, started at minus one. Thank you, Jordan. Um, so it's uh, the Sunday night game. So super excited about, about it. But yeah, I think it's going to be tough. Now, maybe Mahomes can really get through the week and be in a great spot. But man, high ankle sprains a week later. I know that. What other option do the Chiefs have to be than be optimistic and make the Bengals expect full-scale Pat Mahomes? I don't think there's any other answer that Andy Reid can give to the media. He can't. He can't come out on Monday and say, yep, looks like Chad Henney. I mean, there's just no way uh, it would be malpractice to do to do anything but what he's doing and, and making it look at least uh, on the surface like Patrick Mahomes is, is going to be ready to go this week. So we'll see. But uh, if you want a little bit more and you want to dive into that a little bit more, you can check it out at fantasylife.com while you're there uh, sign up for the newsletter in case you haven't already and i don't know why you haven't but uh, it's good stuff be sure to go check that out and uh, get all that in your inbox every single day take a look over at the utilization report which you can also find at fantasylife.com and, and let's look at some running backs here because miles sanders who's had a very good year and and we always joke about him telling us not to draft him and a lot of us listened <laughs> and a lot of us wished we hadn't uh, when it was all said and done but for all the good things that he's done, we saw a lot of Kenneth Gainwell against the Giants uh, over the weekend. Is that something that's concerning you? I know these are all sort of one-week samples, right? Every week is sort of a little bit different, but a little bit of a surprise, at least to me, to see as much Kenneth Gainwell as we did. The Eagles did a couple of interesting things. Um, you know, I don't know if this is bi-week related and they decided to make a change, but this was one of them. Kenneth Gainwell getting more opportunities. He had a season-high 28% of the rushing attempts. But Zach Paschal passed Quez Watkins um, in route participation with 41%. Um, and sorry, Watkins at 41%, and Paschal was at 44%. And even if you look at just the first half, right before the game was out of hand, that still, you know, it stuck. And so really they were splitting a role that used to just be Quez Watkins' role. So if you're doing some battle royales, whatever it may be over at Underdog, just that's an extra piece of information. On the running back front, I. I tend to think that it was really to do with the game script. 
Um, even though Kenneth Gainwell had that 28%, you know, the rushing attempts a season high, uh, most of it came in the fourth quarter. He handled 69% of the rushing attempts out of the running backs, right? Excluding um, Jalen Hurts. In the fourth quarter, he had one drive where he took 11 snaps. So they were resting uh, Miles Sanders at the end of the game. Now, having said that, it is still a three-way rotation. Boston Scott's getting out there. Kenneth Gainwell's getting out there. Miles Sanders, if you look at him on the season, 49%, right, is his average rushing attempts per game. And you rarely see him have an opportunity to get to that 20-touch upside. And that's just something that I think just played out again. Right. Because if you get the big lead, it's just another way to protect Sanders, keep the carries off of him. Do you really need to risk getting him hurt, especially in a game that you've got sewn up and you know you're trying to get to the next round and, and your ultimate goal is to get to the Super Bowl? So not too worried about Miles Sanders as far as his role changing more, but he is still in a three way committee. He is the clear lead of that committee. But when you also have Jalen Hurts sniping carries as well, and sometimes those are inside the five, it just leads to a highly volatile role for miles sanders uh and we've seen it right we've seen him like wow you didn't have miles sanders this weekend like you just didn't win in fantasy football and then you've had like another four weeks in a row you're like wow if you started miles sanders you probably never won a game in fantasy football so he's one of these guys that can be truly polarizing uh because you know at any moment the big upside is there because of the eagles offensive line his big playability but you also know if he doesn't score the touchdowns it can be really problematic for him and I just I think he really is one of those poster cases for utilization where you look at him and you look at his talent and you think, man, this is a guy that I would love to see at some point get loaded up with touches. And the Eagles have just never done that with him. And that's been the reason that in fantasy circles we've been so hesitant. We've kind of kept him at arm's length in a lot of ways. But this year when he got those opportunities, he was very efficient with them. He was very productive. But as you mentioned, a lot of guys there that can uh, take carries when Philadelphia needs them to. On the other side, Elijah Mitchell, uh, I love you right, uh, RB3-4 profile, RB2 production, how? <laughs> uh, my simplified answer is Kyle Shanahan, just because it seems like, you know, you can give Kyle Shanahan a grab bag of running backs and he will find a way to make some of them productive. Yeah, I think that's a big component of it. Um, you, you know, obviously, you've, if you're going to have a, a role that's as small as what Mitchell has, you've got to come through on efficiency. And that's to your point where Shanahan comes through, but uh, 44% of the 49ers rushing attempts um, in the divisional round against Dallas, that ties his season high mark in games with Christian McCaffrey. Um, he's accounted for 30% of the rushing attempts in said games with CMC averaging 10.3 carries per game. The other thing that really helps him um, is just the fact that Kyle Shanahan wants to stick with the run so much, Marcus. So if you look at, it doesn't matter really what the game scripts are, trailing by four plus points, they run the ball 35% of the time. That's plus three versus the NFL average. When they're within three points, 44% of the time, that's plus three versus the NFL average. And when leading by four plus points, which the 49ers do a, good, a decent amount because they're a good team, 55% of plays, they're running the ball. That's plus four versus the NFL average. So across all the types of scenarios that can play out in a game, you're going to get more rushing attempts typically out of the 49ers offense versus you know, the, the average NFL offense. And so that really is the other thing that helps out Mitchell. So you've got an offense that, you know, can create explosive plays. They're willing to stick with the run, but then finally they also score a lot of points. So if you look at the 49ers, 44% of their drives are converted into scores. That's the second most in the NFL. So they get a lot of trips down inside the red zone, even though, even though CMC is still pretty active, Inside the 20-yard line, inside the 10-yard line, Mitchell does rotate in from time to time. And if he happens to have that nice efficiency play from the 10 
And we saw it two weeks ago. It was a catch out of the backfield where he's not normally used, but you're down inside the 10 and he scored on it. So he has these opportunities to score as well. And and those things are really what make a guy, when you hear about 44% of the rushing attempts, you're like, that's not very good. And you're like, oh, well, crap. They run the ball all the time. They score a lot of touchdowns. Even though you know he's never going to overtake CMC, there's a little bit to like here, and that's what turns him into that. He's really that boom-bust RB2. You know, he could still tank and give you a three-pointer, right? He'd just have his 30 yards. That's totally possible, but he also has upside to rush for 80 yards and score two touchdowns. And, you know, we've seen him score two in the last three games. Well, and he was a guy that coming into the season, a lot of us liked as sort of one of those mid-round running backs. And this was before we knew the Niners were going to trade for Christian McCaffrey, but we liked his potential upside. It was a question of health. Uh, and he missed some time early in the season. We saw Jordan Mason get in, get some work. Um, my only suggestion to Elijah Mitchell is the next time your team has a lead and you run for a first down, stay in bounds, please. <laughs> just, just, he gave just, us hope. He gave us one last dash of hope, which was, you know, you know pretty easy, was, which was trounced quickly. You know, it was, it was stamped out. There were, there were, I think, bonehead plays on both sides because you have Elijah Mitchell running out of bounds and, and saving the Cowboys from using a timeout. Then on the other side, you have Dalton Schultz getting knocked backwards out of bounds to keep the clock running. And then just, oh, yeah. just kind of a brain fart of him not getting both feet down on the one catch, which, you know, cost them about, what, 15, 20 yards, something like that, too. Um, so neither side played the smartest of football <laughs> down the stretch. Uh, the Niners' mistake just ended up not not beating them quite as badly. Um, last running back here, Jarek McKinnon, who was hot down the stretch for the Chiefs, was a touchdown scoring machine. Uh, didn't get in the end zone against the Jaguars last week, but getting a lot of work and getting a lot of work in the critical parts of the ball game, Dwayne. It was, it was a lot of Isaiah Pacheco early on. But when the Chiefs needed to close it out, it was Jarek McKinnon who was on the field getting those opportunities. Yeah, and I, there's a lot of folks talking about Pacheco and because he came through in the box score. So that's why I chose just to focus on McKinnon here because there's some underlying things that are really you know connect to what you just said that people need to be aware of. Number one, 65% of the snaps, that's a season high for McKinnon all year. Um, so in a game where you knew Pacheco was available in a game where, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw them even use Ronald Jones a little bit. So they've, they've kind of, you know, shown us some different things the last few weeks. And so to see McKinnon come out here and get this sort of treatment, I do believe he's the guy they trust the most. Um, now Pacheco did out carry him 43%. Um, versus 39% for McKinnon, but getting to be out there with all of those passing opportunities, especially, now, you may lose some of the big playability with Mahomes un- unavailable to move around because we've we've seen some of those plays really be, you know, the, the, the patented Mahomes, hey, I'm rolling to my right, I'm looking to my left, and I'm going to flip it with my hand over the linebacker to McKinnon just sitting there who's like, oh, look what I found, and I'm kind of fast. I'm just going to take off touchdown. Like, some of that is gone, but you could certainly see, remember, Andy Reid is one of the best screen game uh, coaches in the league. Like, Andy Reid is great at designing screen plays. Um, getting the lineman timed up, not getting the penalties down the field, and just uh, you know setting all of the components that are necessary to make a screen game work really well. Andy Reid's known for being good at that over the course of his career, and I could see them doing some things like that this week, Marcus, with McKinnon, getting getting a little bit more help, manufacturing some yards, if you will, for Patrick Mahomes. They don't they don't uh, do as much with the screen game. They do a lot of gadget stuff, right? You get a lot of work with. Kadarius Tony lining up in the backfield, Kadarius Tony and jet motion, all those sort of things. Um, but I could see some extra work for McKinnon this week 
if we have Patrick Mahomes at less than 100%, which, you know what, that's guaranteed. Mahomes is not going to be 100%. It's just a matter of what version, like where is he on the spectrum of less than 100%. We won't know for sure, but I think that's a potential silver lining for McKinnon as far as just pure opportunities go. I know where does this rank in Andy Reid coaching jobs, right? Because they lose Tyreek Hill and everybody was worried, like, what is this Chiefs offense going to look like? And they just sort of kept humming. I mean, here they are back in the AFC championship game again, and they're doing it with Jarek McKinnon and Juju Smith-Schuster and Kadarius Toney. And yes, Travis Kelsey is still the centerpiece, but I feel like this this ranks up there in the pantheon of Andy Reid coaching jobs with what he's worked with this year. Yeah, I think this goes back to, you know, he, he had some really good teams in Philadelphia before like Terrell Owens got there. Um, you know, and you didn't necessarily have the elite playmakers, but he didn't get over the hump, right, until he got the big the big player in Owens. And then you had with the chiefs, the year with Alex Smith, really uh, Tyreek Hills, rookie year, uh, Kareem hunts, rookie year. He did a really good job with the chiefs. Now they didn't ultimately get to the super bowl, but the offense was very, very productive. And they had lost Jamal Charles. You know, they, they were kind of in a, in a transition period, you know, Jeremy Macklin had moved on and all of a sudden he was finding these guys like hunt and Hill and just like just unlocked this whole new version of the offense. And so yeah. I think this is similar to that year. Um, but you obviously have Patrick Mahomes right on top of it <laughs> really. Uh, and it says a lot about Mahomes as well, but there is a lot of design going on to create things because Juju Smith Schuster, we'll talk about him in a minute. Kadarius Tony, a lot of these guys like, well, Juju for sure. Right. And MVS, they're not high end target earners. Right. Like, so yeah, they'll go out and earn a target like every fifth route, you know, maybe. MVS more like every six or seven routes, he'll earn a target. But when you look at the things they're having to do, and it's not just Kadarius Tony, they were doing this with with Nicole Hartman early in the season. Also not a great target earner. So I think that this ranks up there really high because you have Kelsey and to your point, kind of a mishmash like McKinnon, what he's doing, what Hardman's doing, what Tony's doing on limited routes. Like it's just, they're finding different ways to piece it together. Yeah, it's been it's been really amazing to watch. Uh, a lot of fun to kind of watch this offense operate uh, with you know guys that are sort of just as you mentioned, sort of a mishmash at this point. Uh, let's look at wide receivers. Devonta Smith, very much not a mishmash. I mean, this is a guy who <laughs> and and we keep saying you you've been saying it for weeks, right? It's not a a wide receiver one, wide receiver two situation in Philadelphia. It is one A and one B. Um, and now it's like 1A and 1A1. Like, I don't even know. But because he, and, <laughs> he and A.J. Brown uh, have really sort of pulled even with one another in terms of their ability to earn targets and the looks they get and the production they're putting together. I mean, Devontae Smith has been amazing, especially uh, late in the season and into the postseason. Yeah, man. 28% target share now for both of them. Listen to these target shares for Devonta over the last four games. and in the divisional playoff game, 43%. (laughs) You got three games over 35% with AJ Brown opposite of you. Do you know how hard that is? And Dallas Goddard's been back in these games. It is really, really hard to demand a target share this high with that many other good players on your team. I mean, you, you don't see it. Like, honestly, you can go back through history and you just start trying to isolate down to teams where you just had two players over 25% target share. It's really, really hard. So you've got to be good. You've got to have a consolidated offense. And they do. It's really Smith. It's A.J. Brown and it's Goddard. Quez Watkins, you know, doesn't get much. Zach Pascal doesn't get much. They don't throw it much to the running backs. 
So the whole offense is is centered around these three players. But like what he's doing, like he man, this guy is really good. Probably still not getting enough credit. Uh, like I don't think people understand how hard it is to earn a twenty eight percent target share when there's another player on your team doing the same thing. Typically, what you'll see a wide receiver two in that scenario, even if they're good, they're like twenty two, twenty one. So what Smith is doing that tells you how good he is it, that he's still able to you know one out of every three times basically right now. Hertz is dropping back and going, I got to go to Devonta Smith. And that, that bodes really well, not just for this season, but for how good Smith is going to be over the course of his career. And just when you, he's really fun to watch folks. Like if you hadn't had a chance to get to watch Smith a lot, like just an elite separator, an elite route runner, uh, just really understands like leverage points, the way to, to really set up a defensive back, how to find the soft spots and zones. Like, this guy really has everything. He doesn't have the game-breaking ability on run after the catch of an A.J. Brown or a Debo Samuel, but it's good. It's still really good. And he's elite at doing the first part, which is saying, hey, I'm open. You got to throw it to me. And to think, people thought he was too skinny to succeed in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just weird. Yeah. I'm glad I never bought that one. Thank God I was, I was uh, you know, I've been around long enough that I saw prime Marvin Harrison yeah, you know, and that guy, even though he was listed at like 190 or 200 every year, no, no, he probably weighed 185. But so won, watching him protect himself as well, if you'll notice, like when you watch Smith, he doesn't take every hit if he doesn't need to. He's like, okay, I just get down here, and I'm cool with that. I'm good with I'm, that. I'm totally fine with that. I know people were like making videos making fun of Tyler Lockett for the same thing, and I'm like, mm, that just seems like smart football to me. If I don't take a shot, why would I absolutely do that? That makes sense. So while Devonta Smith is on the way up on a rocket ship, T. Higgins maybe parachuting down. You've got him as a downgrade and and not a whole lot of looks lately. Uh, it's kind of been the Jamar Chase show in Cincinnati when it comes to the passing game. Um, any real concerns about T. Higgins? Yeah, with Higgins, um, you know, we've seen guys do this in the past. What you're, you're really looking for them to continue their ascension in year three. Um, so we saw CD lamb and T Higgins very close in year one and two, as far as targets per route run yards per route run, um, their ability to really attack different areas of the field, all the things we want to see, you know, for a wide receiver breakout profile. And they had had solid year one and two production, but year three is where you want to see them maintain and take and hopefully take a big step forward. And again, we saw that with, with Lamb, but really Higgins is broken rank. Like he is kind of flattened out. In fact, he's gone down a little bit. So if you look at his targets per route run over his first three seasons, and I use targets per route run because it's an equalizer, right? Because people miss time, they miss plays. Um, target shares are still like the number one thing if you're just wanting like, hey, I've, I'm, I'm looking to correlate things to fantasy points. The problem with just correlating targets per route run to fantasy points is you've only got half the equation. You need to then know what was their route participation. Targets per route plus route participation gives you target share. So I still like using it because it's also an equalizer if you don't have time to quickly go back and just get rid of the games where people didn't play, just so folks kind of understand. But for guys that, that play plenty of routes, their targets per route run is pretty sticky just like target share is. I mean, so it's really a matter of when we look at some of the smaller samples, which we'll do in a player in a minute, you know, with um, Kadarius Tony. But targets per route run over his first three seasons, 21%. Year two was up to 22%. And in year three right now through this last weekend, down to 19%. So it may not sound like a lot, but I'm going to give you three comps that we've seen that have been very similar over history. Brandon Cooks is number one. 
18% targets per route run, then to 20%, then to 18%. Now, you're looking at that, and you're like, well, that's not bad. Like, Brandon Cooks has been a high-end wide receiver, too. And you're right. Like, that's still fine. That's N.T. Higgins's range of outcomes. Juju Smith-Schuster would be the next. He had an 18% in year one. He really got us all excited in year two, uh, 24%. That was like a 160-plus target season. But since then, Juju has not been the same, and it all started with his year three when he fell to an 18% targets per route run. Now you look back over Juju's, um, you know, his career, it's 18, 17, 19, 18. That's just where he's been. We had an outlier year in year two. And then the final one would be Corey Davis. Corey Davis is, um, you know, probably an underrated player, but he's not going to come out and put up wide receiver two performances if he doesn't have the, if he's not in the perfect situation or has, doesn't, you know, or if he has a lot of target competition, mm-hmm. which is what we'll have to watch for with T Higgins. But I, w- I won't name all this tar- targets per route run, but same pattern. You know, year one, nice, year two, better, year three, flat line, drop off. So those are the things to look at with Higgins. Is he's got one more year with the Bengals. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, I, I don't want to say that there's just no chance that Higgins is going to go off. But if you're a dynasty player, um, you know, based on the history of these things, I would be willing to move on from T. Higgins for the right price. Um, what you would be looking for if you're going to hang on to Higgins is for him to leave Cincinnati after next year. And you would be looking for him to land on a good offense with a good quarterback that really maybe has one other weapon at max, and you don't want it to be an elite one. Then you might get the opportunity for him to, to move up a little bit. You'd also need him to be in a, in a good scheme. But right now, he's really looking more like a wide receiver three, whereas last year I looked at him as a high-end wide receiver two, hopefully ascending into wide receiver one status. And that's what happens. We get these guys that both look like high-end wide receiver twos. We saw that with Lamb and him coming into the year. One took the next step forward. We'll think of them as a wide receiver one next year, and that's C.D. Lamb. One took a step back, and history tells us we probably need to go ahead and think of him more as a wide receiver three, and he could be a wide receiver two, you know, in the right circumstances. Amazing. Like Jamar Chase just seems to kind of suck all the oxygen out of the atmosphere there. And, uh, you know. But see, Devonta is a great example of showing what it can look like. So we use that, but Devonta's overcoming it. He's got A.J. Brown on the opposite side getting a, a, as much or better. He's got a better target share than what Jamar Chase has on the season at 28%, and Devonta Smith is matching him. So that's the thing where, and it's, it's, that's why, you know, with Devonta Smith, like, singing his act, like, how hard it is. Because what you're, to your point here, like, Higgins is not able to pull it off. But the other thing we've typically seen is if guys can't pull it off here, you can't just expect them to all of a sudden, when they're with lesser competition, to be like a 28% guy. Maybe he could be a 23, 22% guy. Because like Brandon Cooks, he moved on to these teams where basically he had no target competition right. after he left the Rams. Um, well, it was New Orleans to start, right? Then he went to the Patriots. Then he went to the Rams. Then he gets to Houston. In the Rams, he was in a high-efficiency offense. But then when he gets to Houston, by the time he got there, there wasn't anything left. Hopkins had moved on. You know, Will Fuller was, you know, was moving on as well. And so he got to play that first season with Deshaun Watson. And even then, like he was like 22%. He, he never really has been able to be that 25% kind of guy. So moving on, you, you've mentioned a couple of Chiefs guys a few times. You mentioned Kadarius Tony. You mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, Tony is that guy that everybody kind of holds their breath when he gets the ball in his hands because he's just <laughs> so electric and can make plays, even if he's not out there a lot. Juju, who you mentioned, just, you know, just kind of steady, not spectacular. He'll get a few targets. He'll make a few plays. When you look at them, I mean, how much is this is is ability how much is just the offensive system how do you sort of evaluate these guys in that offense yeah so let's start with smith schuster 
um, because we just got through talking about comps, right? Back to T. Higgins. I think at this point, Smith Schuster just, he is what he is. He's an 18 to 19% targets per route guy. If he gets into a role where he gets to play 95% of the time with a really good quarterback like Mahomes, we're going to get games like what we've seen this year. We'll get the spikes, but you're also going to get the lows because he's not really doing a lot extra to make Mahomes want to go to him all the time. Um, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you're my read and my progression. You happen to be open. Here you go. And, and that's what happens for guys that get target targets per route run between 15, 18, 19%. That's what's happening to be able to move beyond that. Right. You've got to really be someone that demands your quarterback's attention. You've got to be someone that he wants to make the first read more often than not, not the second read after Travis Kelsey. And that's what Smith Schuster's been able to been unable to do. Um, and he's really only had that one year. And what's funny is his best year was with Antonio Brown going nuts. And then after that, since he's been depended on more, you know, at least in his time with Pittsburgh is, is them wanting him to be more than the wide receiver two behind a guy like Antonio Brown. He wasn't able to do it. So I think with him, it's just at this point, it is what it is. Um, if he's on a good offense, he, I would look at him as being, you know, that low end. He's really profiles as a low end wide receiver three or even a wide receiver four. But on the right offense, you could still think of him as a wide receiver three. Tony's like the flip side of this, right? Tony's demanding amazing target shares. His targets per route run, 26% last year. He's done it again this year, 26%. Now, you have to be careful. Because like right now with the Chiefs, he's basically only he's only out there like 30% of the routes each, each week, Marcus. So last year, it was a small sample size. We only had a little bit over 200 routes with the Giants. But if you put those two seasons together, he's still at a 26% targets per route run. And yes, they, they keep things low A dot, close to the line of scrimmage. A lot of times he gets a lot of screen work. He gets a lot of gadget looks, which... That's something that's really tough. You can't just be like, oh, we're going to now give you 90% of the routes and you're going to do all those things over and over. The defense is going to key in on that and take it away. My thought, though, on Kadarius Tony is he's more than that. So, like, if you go back and you filter out all of his screen targets, you, scroll, you, you, you know, filter out all of his gadget plays, essentially, what we call trick play looks, things like that, you get rid of that, he still has a 22% targets per route run on plays where, you know, he wasn't getting that benefit of the game, of basically the play being set up for him and you have to get the ball, right? That's what's going on in those plays. So you do need to try to, to scrub those. Um, 23% targets per route run against man over his first two seasons. Man coverage, especially in press, you're not getting a screen, right? It's designed to take away. Those are more for against zone. And that brings me to a potential comp people need to remember. And it's Debo Samuel. I remember three seasons ago, everybody like, ah, man, you can't take Debo Samuel. ADOT's too low. He can't live <laughs> off that. Next year he comes out and he's a top three wide receiver in the league. Why? A couple things. Number one, he's really good. And he's, yeah, he's not earning 30% targets if he's not in, number two, a scheme that's willing to set him up, like Kyle Shanahan. In most schemes, Debo's a 20% target earner. But because he's in a really smart scheme that knows what he can do well in an offense that wants to set plays up for him, um, sequentially, they want to make things look one way really to set everything up for him on like a play two drives later. Um, that's what helps him get to these 25 and 30% target shares. So I think Tony has a chance to be like that. Tony's also getting used more in the run game. Now he's not as thick down low, like as, as Debo, like if you look at just his thighs, his quads, his glutes, all that, like Debo looks like a running back. Tony doesn't. <laughs> But, man, he's got 96 yards right now and a touchdown on eight carries this season. He's a guy you can use behind the line of scrimmage. So my thought process on Tony is, yes, he's been – his production's inflated a little bit because of the way he gets used. 
But even if you get rid of all that, like he still shows that he's got at least wide receiver two ability historically. And who's to say he doesn't play in a scheme that gives him an extra five, seven, eight percent of his looks on these kind of scheme passes on top of what he can do on his own. That means he could be a 30% guy. Um, like, like we've seen with Debo get close to that number last season. So I really like Tony. Uh, I would say the red flag on him, Marcus, is that the Chiefs have really needed someone. Mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster's not been good. MVS has not been good. Justin Watson was never intended to have the role that he has, and he's having to play all the time. Sky Moore has not been able to take a step forward. So if you want to play the other side of this, it's what's going on with Tony? Why won't they put him on the field 70 80% of the time? Is it because they're letting him slowly take in the offense? He's been here over half the year. You think he would have picked it up by now. So I think for people that want to have caution around Tony, I I understand because that does worry me. How does he not get on the field ahead of Justin Watson? I mean, wouldn't you think that the coaches would want Tony out there 70, 80, 90% of the time? You know, I put something out on this on Twitter yesterday and even Matt Harmon jumped in. It's always fun when Harmon jumps in your wide receiver talk. Oh yeah. Um, then you feel and like you're he, on the right he said that, yeah. And he said, Tony has work to do, you know, as a route runner and I'm no one to dispute anything Matt says, and I love his work. So, I mean, I'm going to definitely lean into that, but having said that going back and scrubbing all the gimme plays, he still earns a lot of targets. So um, it's it's kind of a, it's a polarizing thing. And if you go on Twitter and like, you should do your own experiment, Marcus, like just tweet one way or the other what you think about Kadarius Tony next year. And, uh, you know, you'll have fun. You'll, you'll get like three hours of entertainment out of it with people responding to you and, you know, you'll have to answer back. There it is. Nothing like lobbing an, an argument grenade into the middle of your yeah. Twitter timeline. <laughs> see, see what happens when it's all said and done. Uh, to your point, though, I, I, I remember when they, get, they traded for him and everybody was over the moon about what it could be. And, you know, he didn't do much the first week. You're like, okay, well, they've got a buy. Let's see what happens after the buy. And the usage really has not changed significantly. So I think that is something worth worth discussing kind of this offseason. Uh, last couple of things, a couple of tight ends here. You mentioned the two guys getting a lot of the targets in Philly being A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. But Dallas Goddard, uh, he's the number three target. And maybe it's not as as high of a target share as those other two guys. But Dwayne, for tight ends, he's still he's still eating pretty healthily there in Philly. Yeah. And the key thing for him is we know he's a talented player. Number one. Number two, he's over 85% route participation in each game since he's been back from the injury. And then over the last three games, his target shares are 19%, 23%, and 22%. If you go back historically, number one, we've seen Goddard do this and put up these sort of numbers, so it's not just a flash for him. But number two, if you see a tight end that's on the field for 85, 80, 85% plus, really the number is 80% that I use when I look at this and they get a 20% uh, targets per route run or higher, which Goddard is over that as well. It's just really hard to not be, you know, a top six tight end, you know, historically speaking. Now we had a few that managed to do that this year. So congrats, 2023 tight end class or 2022 tight end class. You guys managed to, uh, you know, kind of break some rules and we'll have to reevaluate some of them over the off season, off, off season. But the percentages are still going to be really high. It was like 93% before. Now it's going to be like 88% of the time. So he Goddard's just, you know, good player, good situation. It's hard for him to just blow up because, well, you got AJ Brown and you got Devonta. <laughs> right. Uh, but still doing, doing pretty well there. I mean, and, you know, I still contend that that trade when the, the Eagles sent Zach Ertz to, to Philadelphia, it worked out well for both of those yeah. tight ends. Uh, both those guys got in situations where they, they were able to prosper there. 
Uh, Hayden Hurst is back and, more importantly, is healthy and getting a lot of opportunities. And you talk about target share. You talk about T. Higgins maybe on a downgrade. Uh, right now, Hayden Hurst, at least in the playoffs, uh, has a higher target share overall than T. Higgins, which, at least in, in terms of him, uh, that's good news. Zero pointing up for Hayden Hurst, it looks like. Yeah, and another player that's just getting healthy, similar to Goddard. Um, and Hayden Hurst does have first-round draft capital. He's not as good as Dallas Goddard. I mean, we have to go back a ways. The Ravens spent a first on him, I don't know, like six, seven years ago. Um, you know, and he was an older player coming into the league already. Um, you know, he had done some baseball and different things. But we've seen it from him in flashes. We saw it in flashes in Atlanta. You know, when he got there, he's always had a little bit of an issue with staying healthy, and that's been part of it. But when you get him for these stretches where he can, you know, really get into his groove and the injuries aren't bothering him, we've seen him flash this kind of ability. And, and Higgins really is a big part of it. So, like, you can afford to have Jamar Chase and then everybody else kind of splitting everything, and you can come through as a guy like Hayden Hurst. If T. Higgins had taken another step forward like Devonta Smith, it'd be really hard for Hayden Hurst or Tyler Boyd to even have much spike week potential, right? It would be lower. But because Higgins hasn't done that, and he's really kind of potentially leveling off, again, Higgins could still prove us wrong here. It's year three of his career. But right now, it it looks it makes things easier for Hayden Hurst, makes things easier even for Tyler Boyd as well to be... If you're thinking about playing this weekend, you're trying to find ways to get contrarian in your DFS lineup. And I don't know that Hurst will be one because he came through last week. He's going to be really lowly priced. That may be more of a Boyd conversation. But Hurst is doing, you know, what the Bengals hoped when they brought him over. They moved on from C.J. Uzama. Um, you know, things haven't really worked out with a draft pick and Drew Sample. So Hurst has done a nice job. I look him at it. He's he's a low end tight end one profile, not quite to the eighty percent route rate that we want. Um, not quite to that 20% targets per route run, just hovering below both of those things. Um, so he still has that tight end one, you know, he can get into that tight low end tight end one conversation. Doesn't quite look like the guys, you know, from tight end six and onward up. Yeah. Maybe not hitting those benchmarks that you want out of a kind of a mid to high end tight end one, but also in an offense that is pretty productive and pretty efficient. And so that sort of works in his favor as well uh, in terms of his opportunities there. Plenty of good information you can check out over at the Utilization Report at FantasyLife.com. And if you want to put all of that information to good use, you can just head on over to Underdog, where one-week contests like the Battle Royale allow you to compete for big prizes in using a snake draft format. Just go there and use the code LIFE, L-I-F-E. Get your first deposit doubled for up to $100. Taking a deep breath because we went through a whole lot of stuff there. And um, I thought it was good stuff. Hopefully you all out there thought it was good stuff as well so uh Dwayne, it's back to the lab and then uh what ready for uh ready for our next show later on in the week as we get ready for the weekend right championship weekend man then we're on to the super bowl uh yeah excited only uh what three more games three more games that count in the nfl i'm not counting the flag football game i'm sure it's gonna be fun <laughs> at the pro bowl i'm sure flag football is gonna be a lot of fun but three more games that count in the 2022-2023 NFL season. We'll be back to talk to you about it a little bit later on in the week. That'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll talk to you again real soon.